0: n-e-t-s-u-i-t-e dot com slash (laughs) w-t-f all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucking ears this is mark Marin. this is wtf welcome to the show thank you for being here it's my show uh i host it in my garage In Highland Park, California, here at the Cat Ranch, uh, there are several cats around. Right now, scaredy cat, wild cat, been feeding for a decade, just finished up eating and not talking to me. As usual, not having anything to do with me. After 10 fucking years of feeding that guy, you'd think maybe a, yeah, come on over, touch me a little bit. Just a little touch on the head, be nice, nothing. Let me uh, say hello to my friends across the pond and tell them that, uh, I will be in Dublin September 2nd at Vicker Street. Uh, tickets are available if you go to wtfpod.com slash calendar. There's a link there for you. Uh, September 3rd and 4th, I will be at uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall in London, England. Again, a link at wtfpod.com slash calendar. Uh, and those are the only gigs coming up because I finished up the Marination Nation tour uh, this last weekend. In Denver and in Boulder, amazing shows. Me and Del Rey, Dean Del Rey, Boulder sold out. It was uh, tremendous. What a great place that was. We did the uh, Boulder Theater. We had a great time. And on Saturday night, we did the Paramount in Denver. Sold about $13.50. Not bad for a a guy who was me. Filled it out pretty nicely. Had a great show. Great time. I like Denver a lot. I'm back home and now August is looking pretty empty. And I have to go back and I got to start generating again, I guess. I have to go back to the drawing board. I've recorded this hour and a half chunk of material to get about an hour, I believe, for an epic special that will be on in um, December on Epics called uh, More Later. So I just looked at a director's cut for that, that Bobcat Goldthwait directed, and it looks great. I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with things. But the fact is... I've just done an hour and a half that I've been doing for about six months to a year. And uh, it's, it might be time to let it go as it goes. It's a weird thing about doing stand-up these days. You've got to turn over these hours. And I'm not sure. I always get to this point where I don't know what the fuck, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do next. Where does the material come from? So maybe in August, I'm going to go out and do something exciting and compelling that will generate at least an hour's material. And I think that might be jury duty because apparently I'm the only asshole that responds to those things when they come in the mail. Everyone I've talked to, they're like, why'd you open the envelope? Because it's my duty as a citizen of the United States of America to be on a jury of my peers or whoever shows up and, and, and judge uh, the, the problem at hand, the legal issue at hand. It's my responsibility. I've, I've called that before and it, it didn't happen. I've been told that it might not happen because of my mid-level celebrity status. They might not want me, knowing that I was, uh, back in the day, perhaps a lefty political spokesperson of sorts, or perhaps because I have a TV show or I appear to be cranky and, and a, a, a little bit angered, or perhaps because I get on the mic every twice a week and talk to you and talk to uh, people in here. I don't know, but there's part of me that kind of wants to be on a jury. I know it can't be like the TV show. I know it's not going to be like 12 Angry Men. So maybe it will be who will i be will i be the will i be the uh, henry fonda of the 12 angry men or will i or will i be the jack warden perhaps come on let's just get it let's get it over with what or will i be the lee j cobb he's guilty he's guilty i'm starting to think that, that all my impressions of men sound roughly the same slightly gravelly voice with a bit more intensity behind them, a bit more anger. If I'm excited about jury duty or the possibility of jury duty, I definitely have to engage on some other level in my life. I've been thinking about maybe doing some service work, doing something to get me out in the world where I feel like I help people on a day-to-day basis, not just talk. I know the talk helps people. I had a very touching moment in Denver. A kid came up to me, said he read both my books several times and it helped him get a year's worth of uh, sobriety. He was in a year outpatient program and uh he's doing well and that shit just you know it, it breaks my heart and makes me feel good that that what i'm doing or how much of myself i'm putting out there makes a difference to people and helps people i know that to be true and and, uh, and i'm very grateful that i have that effect but you know again if i'm excited for jury duty there's something missing because i had this moment where you're gonna have some version of this moment when you reach a certain age where he, me and Dean, we're out, we're in Denver, we're having a good time, we go to this place called uh, Black and Red Records. It's one, it's one of these old school places. They have books, they have records, they have games. There's stacks of shit all over the place. There's thousands of things, T-shirts, posters, classic place. And we had a really good time. I usually get overwhelmed and I can't go through record bins forever, but this place had records that I'd never seen before, old records I'd never seen before. So we both spent some money. They're going to ship us our records. Then we go to another place. And this is where the moment happens. We go to Wax Tracks in Denver, another great, kind of old, dirty record store. It's got a lot of shit. I get into this conversation with Dean. I found an Earl Swick record. I'm like, I know that name. Guitar player, right? Who'd he play with? And Dean goes, I think he was in Bowie's last band, right? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then some dude who I look at, and he's like, a little taller than me, he's got a beard but it just seemed to be another version of me or the surface of me or the me that interfaces with records at a record store, the me that does that for fun. Is it just another version of that? And he goes, yeah, it was, he was in Bowie's band. And I, like, I felt a little put off at first, but I'm glad that he knew. And then I look around the store, there's no less than four or five dudes look exactly like me, different version, slight variations, all approaching 50 or in their 50s or in their 40s, just poking around in record bins, looking to connect with some part of themselves that, that had to do that because we had no choice. This is poking around in record bins because that's how we travel. That's how we time travel. That's how we go back. So this is like some fairly common midlife event, poking around in record bins, looking for something that worked back when we were younger. Or maybe get that same feeling we got when we were younger. Maybe a better feeling. Maybe something elevated, something defining. I don't know. I don't know what we're looking for in those record bins, but I know there's no fucking end to it. And then I saw this dude talking to his eight-year-old, maybe not probably six-year-old daughter. I just was, I was at a bin and he was down a few bins from me and he's got the Some Girls record, the Rolling Stones record out. And he's trying to explain to this six-year-old girl why the covers are different. He told, you know, the whole story is that before they had all the faces, Lucille Ball, I think Marilyn Monroe, a bunch of women's faces in the slide out. But they had to take them off because they didn't get rights to those faces. So I just see this father saying, Lucille Ball, they didn't pay her or ask her if they could use her face. And I was just thinking, like, well, how much of that little girl is picking that stuff at Lucille Ball or even making sense of it all? Maybe she's a bright little girl, but still, there was something endearing, but a little... <laughs> A little weird about it because when Dean and I are leaving, he's got her over at the listening station. This little girl's got the headphones on, and I just see her standing there next to her dad, and she's holding the Sergeant Pepper's cover and listening. He goes, I'm trying to get her started on the good stuff. And I, you know, part of me was, I, well, I actually said, I said, well, we'll try to keep her out of the rabbit hole that we're in because I don't think there's any end to it. And he laughed, and I noticed that he had a, a crate of about 30 or 40 records. So. I guess his desperation to connect with whatever we lost was a little more intense than mine, and he's got a kid. So maybe that's not the answer. Jason Siegel is on the show today. I'm a big fan of Jason Siegel's. I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time. Uh, I think he seems like a sweet guy. I feel like we're, we have some things in common. I don't know. That might just be a Jewish thing that I projected onto to him. I still have that thing in my mind where I can identify and connect with almost uh, any Jew of my ilk. And clearly I can connect with other people, but it's a weird thing. But uh, I just I just like the guy. And he's in a great movie that I just watched, a very interesting independent movie called The End of the Tour. And uh, it's about David Foster Wallace. It's about this uh, this writer who wrote an article on him played by Jesse Eisenberg. Guy's name is David Lipsky. And it's a very subtle uh, kind of bizarre movie. But Jason does a great job, and it's, uh, it's an interesting role from him. You, many of you know him from his movies. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the uh, This Is 40, uh, the um, Muppet movie. You know him from uh, How I Met Your Mother. You, you know him. He's very funny. He's got a great way about him, and I was excited to talk to him, and we had a good talk, and that's going to happen in your head shortly. I was just in Hawaii last week. Very exciting. I was flown out to do a scene in a movie. It's called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, I believe is the name of the movie. I, I was asked to do it by the director, and they flew me down for the day. Luxurious, very exciting, to fly down to Honolulu, which I've never been to for a day's work, where I played a bar owner, and I did a scene with Zac Efron and Adam Devine. And uh, I, I've not done that many movies. And it was it's the opening scene of the movie, if all goes well, but we don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we did some riffing. It was fun. I had a good time for the day. I wore some someone else's clothes, and I stayed at a hotel where they had dolphins in a pool. So we'll see how that goes. I got nothing to complain about, folks. I'm just a, you know, it just starts up again. It's time to sort of where am I at? What am I doing? How do I create? How do I find some space for myself to think? I'm tired of fucking Twitter. I'm tired of I'm try I'm tired of engaging. So onward. We go. Thank you all for being there. Right now, let's talk to Jason. Siegel. you look like you just got a haircut
1: yeah i got a summertime haircut did you go to the razor place i went to no i went to my local little uh, little barber and i embarrassingly showed them a picture of david beckham you did? Yeah, <laughs> I said, give me the Beckham. You yeah. want the Beckham?
0: I wanted the Beckham. I think you're a little late on the Beckham, are you? Oh, totally. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I caught it when it's totally unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, wait. So you you moved to Los Feliz? Uh Yeah. So did Feliz. you go to like Sweeney Todd or who'd you go to? No, you know
1: what? I um I have a place up near Santa Barbara. Oh, um, really? Yeah, a little small town. So I uh, I went over there.
0: Is it like one of those old timey barbershops or is it just like a, no, a it's, hairstyle? A salon? It's just a, it's a salon. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, fine. But you you're native here, right? Yeah, to I grew help? up I grew up in the Palisades. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it was a nice way to grow up. I don't know if I've ever really spent any time there. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it on television. There's not totally a reason to spend time there. But it's like it's just all the way west. Big yeah. you know, I went to Joan Rivers' daughter's house to do the her show. Yeah. Did you ever do that in bed with Joan show? No. You got it, you just wait you sat there on her bed with Joan Rivers. Wow and she interviewed you. How did that go? It was fine. Yeah. She's a dirty old lady. <laughs> right. Yeah, she was totally. amazing. She'd talk about anything. Yeah. She'd throw anybody under the bus.
1: Yeah. I've done that,
0: but never um on radio or anything. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> gone to someone's house and interviewed on their yeah, bed. Just dirty old ladies talking. What was your family like? I mean, what you grew up in the Palisades, that's nice.
1: Yeah, it's nice. I have um I have an older brother, kid sister. You do?
0: You have an older brother?
1: Yeah, I have an older brother named Adam. He's the best. He was my idol growing up. Really? And you have a little sister. Yeah. And you're all, like, you grew up Jewish? Uh, Well, it's interesting you ask. My father's Jewish. My mother is Christian. Yeah. So I grew up going to a school called St. Matthew's during the day, and then I would
0: walk to Hebrew school at night. So they wanted you to do both. But your mom didn't want to convert, but your dad wanted to have some Jew in you.
1: You know what? Neither of them are religious. Sure. So they made this decision that they were going to let me decide. Yeah. Which is, like, the... It's the dumbest thing you can do for a
0: kid because right, right. you don't really care. Yeah. Why would you do anything unless there's something in it for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and I
1: just remember, uh, when I, this is when you become funny. Like yeah. You, you know. Um, when I was like uh, 13, it was time for my bar mitzvah. Right. So I invited all the kids from the Christian school. Yeah. And uh, then the, the headmaster came up and he said, you know, everyone is very excited about your big party but the kids don't really know what a bar mitzvah is would you stand up in front of the school at communion yeah and explain what a bar mitzvah is (laughs) so then you cut to the next day little 13 year old jason siegel standing there like on
0: saturday i become a man
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's literally a direct cut to getting punched in the face i mean it's not how you want to do it.
0: it what you got flack
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't... I, I was like a, an odd kid growing up in general. Yeah? I, yeah. Long hair. I've been 6'4 since I was like 12. Oh, so you're like the awkward kid. I awkward, sensitive totally awkward. kid. Yeah. I'm not comfortable? No. Completely uncomfortable. And then, actually, it's how I got started. My parents put me into acting class. Not for acting, but because I was very shy. Therapeutic. Yeah. They thought maybe you'll meet some other weird kids. Right. And I totally did. And... There was this thing that they said. You have Fozzie Bear on your wall.
0: Yeah, uh, that someone drew that of me interviewing Fozzie, but I can't do anything with it because it's copyrighted. So that oh, couldn't even be published. But the artist sent it to me. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: there was. A, I was so I was a big Muppet Show fan, and there is a line in one of the Muppet movies where uh, someone says, "A bunch of weirdos make a family." Yeah, and that's what I felt like when I went to acting class. Like, oh, okay, no one is making fun of me here. Let's let's do this. Right,
0: the theater nerds kind of totally. And who was acting class was it? What, it, was, uh, it was it was a place called the Santa Monica Playhouse. Yeah. Did, was there? Who else did, was there? Anyone else in your class that, that went on to do things? Um, I don't feel like I've someone mentioned that before. Yeah,
1: a lot of people went through there, but but nobody really that I can that I can think of.
0: Because um, I had um, Martin Starr in here. Yeah, and he started young. Yep. Yeah, but he and did. he grew up in Santa Monica, I think. Yeah, and I would imagine for
1: similar reasons, like Martin is a. Uh, yeah Martin is a really interesting different unique
0: Sensitive kind of guy. Dude. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's when it started. So you how old were you? I was uh, I was probably about 10 years old, 11 years old. So before the bar mitzvah. So by yeah. the time you had the the big break explaining what a bar mitzvah <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah, a little a little stage time I under wasn't your belt. I was scared
1: to get up in front of the crowd, but <laughs> then I was scared when they beat me up.
0: <laughs> but it's weird too, as a Jew or as a, you know, being brought up Jewish, it's you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know exactly you know, you know you're just becoming a man. Yeah. But you know, then you got to explain the ritual and did you do the whole thing like like I have to read from the Torah? Yeah. Oh, wow. I did the whole thing, but I viewed it like
1: a performance. I went up and like really made a show of it. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think I uh I was dressing really weird at the time, and uh, I wore uh, like a purple suit and mustard pants. Mustard pants? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, like mustard.
0: I had mustard pants. You did? Yeah. I did. recently. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had mustard corduroys. I was very attached to them. Yeah, yeah. You don't don't see corduroys them too often. work? Yeah, they yeah. looped back around mustard pants. Yeah, yeah. I, I always liked that color. So, so they all looked at you like an oddball.
1: Yeah, I, I think. I think at that point you just make a decision, um, especially you know. Also, at at Christian school, you're the Jewish kid, and at Hebrew school, you're the Christian kid. I think that's the nature of groups. You're you not know? a real
0: Jew. Yeah, Is you're your mom just, Jewish. No, you're not real Jew.
1: Right, and so everyone wants to compartmentalize people, and yeah. I think I decided at that point, like, okay, it's just it's me versus the world, kind right. of. Yeah, you yeah, know?
0: yeah. And you saw you sought some uh, comfort in the acting glass and and in Muppets yeah yeah totally because that's like you know who was I talking to Judd I guess and uh you just you you have this reverence for the Muppets yeah to the point where you're like we need to make a new Muppet movie I mean you made that happen yeah well I I, I cared a
1: lot about it and and I helped make it happen I think that I think that what always well, really... how, do, well how does it unfold okay I, I I wrote a movie called forgetting Sarah Marshall
0: yeah I like that movie I oh think thanks that's... man And uh, I saw you naked in that movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally.
0: Interesting decision.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Well, (laughs) at the time, it was like a very new decision. I feel like now, like, no one bats an eye. But um, I thought, well, you know, there's actually a reason. It's the same reason that I was going to get to the puppets is that. Uh, the thing about a romantic comedy, I think, is that you know what's going to happen. Like, the guy on the poster is going to end up with the girl on the poster. Right. And some people can take pleasure in that journey, but like uh, a lot of men, for instance, kind of roll their eyes at it. It's just not an interesting thing. So, I thought that if you opened a movie where main guy is naked in the first scene, basically, you're kind of forced to to uh, let go of any expectations. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So then the challenge <laughs> is how do you end a movie like that when you know they're going to end up together? And I have been obsessed with The Muppets, and I said to Judd, like, what if we end this with a lavish puppet musical? And he literally looked at me and said, "It's your movie, man." <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and yeah, and yeah. and we did. And I I love it. It's like one of my favorite things that I've ever managed to trick people into doing. And from there, you know, like something goes well, and you have a little bit of juice. Yeah. And so people were asking, "What are you going to do next?" And I said, "I'd like to um I'd like to bring back the Muppets," and um and everyone said, "You're." you're crazy what why this is a totally different thing than yeah. what we like you doing but i just uh i went in and i pitched it to disney and they said okay and then i set off doing that and you wrote it i wrote it yeah i wrote it with uh, my friend nick stoller i directed. know nick stoller oh yeah he's the he best. was in here
0: he was yeah yeah He's the best dude. Yeah, you guys uh, make sense. A couple of... You're sweet guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's a nice guy. He's, he's a, a good really friend nice of yours? Guy.
1: Yeah, he directed Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's right.
0: Yeah, we did... A, a, he
1: wrote Muppets with me, and we did a movie called Five-Year Engagement together. So we worked a lot together. But the Muppet thing was just
0: off the... Uh, it was just out of a childhood love of the Muppets.
1: Yeah, it was It was that, and also... Um, there hadn't been one in a while, it Hadn't right? been one in a long time, and I felt like one of the things the Muppets... Did that was really unique and special is they never uh, made fun of people, they never um, got laughs at other people's expense. Right. I just thought that that combined with this idea that they're so strange um, was a really neat thing. Like they're so
0: strange because they're puppets.
1: No, because they're you know they're a frog and a bear and Gonzo's or whatever, and they all kind of come together. And I felt like uh, you can catch a kid at a certain age and instill this idea that. Uh, it's okay. Whatever you are is okay. Right. And like in, in today, I don't know, I, I think a lot about this stuff, but in today's world, like there's so much shaming and everything's either a major win or a total fail on right, the internet. Right, right, right. That uh, some voice saying it's okay
0: yeah, uh, was important. And it was important to you. Yeah, totally. When you were a kid because yeah. you felt out of place. Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's wild, man. So when did you like? If you started taking those acting classes at ten or eleven, yeah. When did it become a real thing? What What does your brother do, by the way? Uh, so
1: my brother is a money manager, uh, oh, okay. you know, investment banker type uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. Um, really smart. Uh, real alpha male he was like a great athlete in high school oh, yeah. I really wanted to be just like him and so I I like delved into basketball and became a pretty good basketball player okay uh, in high school yeah and I, I won the state championship and stuff oh really
0: yeah do you play now
1: um, no I haven't played in a long time I'd like to start playing again you don't
0: just go shoot no but else? I'm gonna start I'm With gonna some start fellas yeah no Chandling used to have a game back in the day yeah I heard that there's yeah. a
1: lot of guys who have games I haven't been invited to those but I w- I'll, I'll go
0: well, maybe I'd even put it out there. Yeah, like, put it out there. I'd love to play some yeah, basketball with some some dudes. Do you do you <laughs> do that? Do you socialize much?
1: Yeah, I'm getting much better about it. I'm making a like a concerted effort to socialize. You have to, more. right?
0: Yeah, totally. I like I don't like I, I just realized that recently. It's like no one's just gonna, you know, call you up. Yeah. And like, unless you're sort of like, I'm available to do things. You know, it's interesting. This is a tangent. But yeah. I feel
1: as though the same impulses and nature that like got me to where I got to ended up kind of turning on me at some point where I'm just like, I was really driven Uh, and I had this idea that the only way you're going to make it is if you just make it happen and work your ass off. And so uh, at night I would go home and write and I would watch comedy and study it and watch acting and think about it and this and that. And then at some point, like you know, you have this idea of, I, I need to get there. Right. But then you find out there keeps moving. Right. And so, if you if, if your impulse is, I need to get there, that's never going to go away. And exactly. So, yeah, it's been the past few years when I've realized, like, oh, you're good. Like, everything's everything's going great, and let's focus on life stuff. It's, that's, it, well, that's interesting. How old are you? 35.
0: Well, yeah, so you're, it's good timing. Yeah. You haven't fucked it all away. No, thank God.
1: No, I mean it's really true, man. I have like, if I'm lucky, I got 50 years left. Sure, man. Of good times. Like you
0: know, if you can like, if you can hang on to this uh, this this new attitude, you'd be you might enjoy life.
1: Yeah, and I also have like a hunch that uh, we might be the first generation that gets an extra 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Like science might science might so help us out. You're going go to go to 100
0: yeah maybe i will go to a hundred <laughs> let me just the the basic question is how the genetics how 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 did how did grandma and grandpa do age wise they did well also my my uh my
1: father who is uh the best guy in the world but you know he's like a five foot ten short squat jewish guy married like a beautiful Five foot eleven Irish woman. Okay, and I got those genetics. It oh, seems. oh, you did. I, it seems that way. Yeah. Oh, good,
0: good. So that's that's great. So all right. Well, so you're ten or eleven, and your sister. They all live in town still. Uh, my brother lives in Boston.
1: Um, he just bought a place in in like Central Coast, uh, and my sister lives in L A. Yeah. Wow, so everyone's here. Everyone's do you do here. dinners and shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. We get along much better now than we did like uh, in in my twenties. Oh in, yeah, area. yeah. I think you know sibling relationships are tricky, yeah. and then you arrive at some. It's the same. It's the same thing that happened with uh, my my feelings about my parents. At some point, you realize that everybody is just
0: doing their best. I they are, but it's hard to accept, isn't it? Yeah, but especially then, with parents.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Well, when when. It seems like so uh, obvious, but at some point I realized my parents were strangers who met each other. Right. That they weren't this unit that had been there from the beginning of time. And they were just
0: young people (laughs) with their own insecurities and their own weirdness. Met
1: each other, doing their best, trying to figure out how to do it.
0: Everybody's just guessing. And they're still together. Yeah, they're still together. That's a miracle. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it doesn't happen to most people. Yeah, yeah. That's what I hear. And and what's your sister do? My sister's a writer
1: as well. She's really, really funny.
0: Oh, really? She's a comedy writer?
1: Yeah. Has she done movies? No, she hasn't done movies yet. She's written articles and, uh, oh. and blogs and things like that, and she's writing screenplays now.
0: Ah. Yeah. I, I hope she can get those read. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It totally. Right. Yeah, it's going to be... In, yeah, I don't know if she's going to have a, a, a an avenue to get her stuff out there. Yeah. Like, that day's coming, buddy. I, I think
1: that um, I grow more and more aware how lucky I was to meet Judd
0: Apatow. Sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's kind of something else, you know. Like I don't know where he finds all the time, and and also a very giving and sweet dude on top of having a million things going on. He changed my life. You well, know? yeah, well, so let's go back to that. So you're yeah. you're you're doing acting, and you've studied at yeah. ten or eleven years old. So
1: at this point, I'm playing basketball in high school, and I saw in school that I have um, like a very good memory, very, like a right, you know, short term can can memorize stuff, and. I was doing a little bit of acting, but I was focused on sports and I decided that, uh, I would read this play for no reason. Um, yeah. I read this play called the zoo story. Yeah. By Edward Al- 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 Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there was like a, there was like a 20 page monologue in it. Yeah. And I thought, I'd like to see if I can memorize this. Yeah. That was really my thinking at the time. Right. And so I, uh, I asked the, the head of the theater department, Ted Walsh, uh, Do you mind if I try putting on this play?
0: And this is in Palisades, a high school? This is at
1: Harvard-Westlake in the Valley. Okay. Yeah. Um, And he said, yeah, sure. You know, you can use the small theater to do two nights. And so I put it on and- This is some real L.A. stuff. But there was a woman who came to see the show who turned out to be president of casting at Paramount Pictures. Right. And like a week later, my parents sat me down and they said, listen, we need to talk. We've been talking to this lady all week. And if you want, um, she thinks that you might have a feature in acting. So uh,
0: you have a big decision to make. So this was a fluke. Like yeah. you decide you want to try to memorize this thing, and the Zoo Story, as I recall, is a lot of monologues, right? Yeah, it's a it's a, a guy
1: and uh, on a park bench, and another guy walks up, and it's just a, it's two people talking.
0: She went out. She reached out to your parents because you're what? Fifteen? Uh, I was
1: sixteen. Okay. at the Time,
0: yeah. I reached out to
1: my parents, and I decided, uh, yeah, I'll give it a try. And so my senior year, I just started auditioning. And I did a couple like teen movies. One movie called Dead Man on Campus, like some like kind of dumb teen stuff. Yeah. And then I did a little independent movie called SLC Punk. Uh huh. It was the first kind of acting that I.
0: What was that movie? I don't know that movie. It was about. I, but that's not. Unusual. It was a little
1: niche movie about um, punk music in Salt Lake City uh-huh. in the eighties. Uh uh-huh. And um, and then this script came across. It was then was my first pilot season. Right. And. A script came across my desk called uh, "Freaks and Geeks," right? And I immediately thought, "No way! This, is, this sounds like a Nickelodeon show," right? And they were like, "No, this is a, this guy's Judd Apatow, and uh, he had done Larry Sanders Show at that point, but right. he wasn't he wasn't Judd yet, yeah. You know? and, and Paul Feig, right? And Paul Feig, yeah. yeah. And and they said, "No, you should go in for this." And so I went in, and it was my first uh, time improving. And who did he put you with?
0: Was it one on one or was it, he It moved? was me
1: and the casting director. Um but I think I had the naivety of youth. Like yeah. I just thought, okay, I'll go do this right. and I I'm pretty smart, you know, yeah, yeah. and whatever. So I did the I did the, the thing and then and then next thing I knew, my like my life changed. We yeah. started doing Freaks and Geeks and I was surrounded by, it was just like my first acting class and just like the Muppets, a bunch of weirdos make a family. There's no better place than Freaks and Geeks right. for it to feel that way. Again. Yeah, yeah. And then we were just in it, man. And and then at one point Judd took me aside, me and Seth Rogen and and all of us, I'm sure. but And he said, if you can improv the way you can, then you can write. Uh-huh. That's what writing is. You're just gonna do it in a more focused, like
0: deliberate way. And he literally taught me how to write. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't imagine the, the relationship that people have with freaks and geeks, and yeah. as and there's there's only what 18 of them. Yeah, right. Is it's pretty profound. Like I came right. to it much later. I mean, there were yeah. people that that grew up with it, but I'm I'm old. I'm 51, so I sort of missed it. So I had my first experience with it within the last you know five or six years. Sure, I watched the whole thing. Oh, cool. And it's it's interesting because you know knowing all of you guys as actors established watching that I'm like oh look at the kids they're I know so sweet
1: yeah it was I think that one of the reasons people connect to it is um, everybody has this sense no matter how good they are at faking it that they are like different than their than their peers you know yeah and that show is really about that right. yeah, it was really special. Everybody was kind of like digging deep into what it feels like not to feel uh, comfortable.
0: Yeah, and uh, and do you, you know, outside of like Seth, because I have this weird thing that keeps getting shattered every time I have people who were in like important ensemble. Uh, uh, shows or movies that they just always stay in touch like I like when I see people in movies I'm like you must talk to that guy still you guys are you know buddies on the screen yeah
1: well I think that we do talk uh, you know less as you get older and people have their own lives and and things like that but um, Seth and I wrote together for a long time and um, you know we always send each other emails wishing each other well and same with a, a lot of the other people in the cast. But, yeah, I think you grow apart by nature of time. Sure.
0: It's interesting where people show up, you know, over time. Like, to see, uh, what, what's her name in Mad Men? Uh, yeah. What, what's her name? Linda. Again? Yeah. I mean, it was like, hey, there she is. Yeah. She's, and, you, and, and, like, I obviously, I have I, limited experience in show business. But as somebody who watches shows, there's that moment where you're like, oh, she's working. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think that there's also... um <laughs>
1: When Freaks and Geeks got canceled after the first year, you're so young yeah. that you have this idea that that's how it always goes. Right. So you're kind of like, all right, well, I'm on to the next uh groundbreaking show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get some time. Like, I <laughs> I plunged right into three years of being out of work. And so then. Really? Uh, yeah. That's when I started writing. I was, all, I was all of a sudden at this age where.
0: So, you were like what, 17, 18? No, uh, at that point, I was like 20 to 23. That age, I, I had no work. So, okay, so you were going to be an actor and yeah. you were an actor. And I didn't
1: go to college. Right. You know, in order to act. Right. And then all of a sudden, I was now like too old to play a kid anymore and too young to be like the doctor.
0: Right. And Martin had that. He had this similar situation yeah. where things just, you know, changed and he had to reevaluate.
1: Yeah. And that's when Judd said. Uh, the only way you're going to make it is if you start writing your own material, you know, like kind of the Albert Brooks model where, right. you know, no one's banging down your door to be like the romantic lead in something Yet. Y- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you better do it. And, and I just started writing. what did you start writing? First thing I wrote was a script called, uh, it was called at the time nightmares beware, which I've now turned into a series of kids books that are out called nightmares. Yeah. 10 years later. Um, and then I wrote, How they selling? Yeah, they did pretty good. I don't really, it's not my main job, so I don't follow it with that kind of eye. Right, right. It It wasn't,
0: you were just doing it because you wanted
1: to. Yeah, it made the bestseller list, but I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a thousand books or a hundred books
0: or I don't know what it is. I think it's,
1: well, how long did you publish them? Um, Last, the, the first one came out in September. The next one comes out this oh, September. Oh, well,
0: you'll find out. Yeah. They'll send you the weird little things where, like when you do a book, well, it sounds like it did all right, but a lot of times when you get a deal to do a book, yeah. and then, you know, after they you get these quarterly things that basically, you know, show how many you've sold against your deal. So for a decade oh, yeah. I've just gotten yeah, I, I still owe them money apparently. <laughs> yeah, totally. Is there a way to work it off? <laughs> well, they it's just it's just the way they frame it. You don't have to give your money back yeah. or anything, but they, you know, they show you just how many units you've sold. And, and what it is compared to what they gave you, yeah. And it's it's never well for me. It wasn't necessarily encouraging, but people got the book.
1: Yeah, I'd like to kind of even it up if I owe them money with like some one man shows or <laughs> I can appear at a dinner party. Be right?
0: Maybe it's selling. It might be selling great.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think it did. I think it did well. I have a framed yeah. New York Times bestseller list thing. That's but, beautiful. Yeah. But you know that wasn't really the that wasn't really why I but, did it. But and that so, was the first screenplay. That was the first screenplay. And then the next what was the what was the pitch? What was the angle? It's about uh a kid who's mo- it's like role doll style it's about a kid whose mother passes away and when his dad gets remarried he starts having terrible nightmares and uh about witches and so one night he and his friends have to uh, journey into the
0: nightmare world each yeah.
1: face their biggest fear in order to rescue the kid's brother.
0: Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, cool. It, it makes sense that it would be a good kid's book. Yeah. So it's for ages like like eight, late or up, Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know how I just nailed that. Yeah. Oh. The age thing. Smart guy. You've been doing this a long time. Well, I, well, I just sort of like, I was like, okay, at what age would that stop being terrifying?
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? Well, I like, see, I think that um, kids really like to be scared. Right. And I just remember at that age. I liked being pushed right to the edge where I felt like I can't believe my parents are letting me do this. Right, right, right. Do they know? Yes. Right. Totally. Yeah. Meanwhile, your parents okay. are like having Chardonnay in the living room. They don't know.
0: They don't know something scares you to you come out of your room crying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, I right, was so
1: apparently scared by a lot then, by the way. Were you? <laughs> <Yeah. No>. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Just, Everything scared me. Just coming out of the, the room. Measure, if coming out of the room crying <laughs> yeah. is the measure of fear.
0: I, well, I felt that a lot. I don't know, because I grew up in, um, you know, middle class, upper middle class, Jewish household. But I did feel like um, like I was too sensitive. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what that is. I You know, I guess my parents were okay, you know, but they were a little self-involved. Sure. I don't know what, what you grew up in or what made you sensitive or whether you can track it. But it's not everybody's. Just, and you had this brother who was just a, an animal, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> so. Well, you know, I think that you find out everyone you think has it put together
0: has their own stuff you know what i mean that's later like, yeah because you, know, you spend your life assuming like that guy's gotta he has it together yeah well when you're 12 years old you're the
1: center of your own world
0: yeah yeah you know what i mean and it's that all... world's gonna crumble if you if, <laughs> if that's the world you've built for yourself
1: yeah i don't know what made me sensitive i think i've always felt things very acutely like
0: oh. why well, i think that's why i feel like uh like that's what I feel from you when in, in your roles, because I don't know you. Yeah. But I always assumed like uh you know that guy seems like a pretty sweet guy. Seems like uh things hit him pretty hard somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've cried a lot in in yeah. comedies. I think I've cried more in comedies than maybe that's it. Yeah. Um but what was it what was the second thing you wrote? The second thing I wrote was um, a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That was it. So you wrote that when you were in your twenties? Yeah, I was I was 24 when I wrote that. So that hung around for a while. No, I made that movie when I was 25. It's
0: been that long.
1: Yeah, I think it. I, well, seven years. so uh, I might be off by a year, but something like that. Yeah, 25, 26.
0: But by that point, you'd already acted in some Judd movies, right? Or no? I had done. Uh, I had done Knocked Up, and then I had
1: started my TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, so I, we can measure it that way. Actually, the um, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall was the second year of the TV show. Okay. So I was 26. God, did you have any idea that that TV show would go on as long as it did? No, I had I had no idea. My only experience had been failed TV shows. And the first three years or so, we were on the bubble and constantly on the verge of being canceled. And so then it just kept... It found its legs, like season four or five, and then we were just... We were going, man. You did like what, nine? Nine seasons, like 240 episodes or something like that. And that's like your, your made guy. Uh, it, well, I certainly... Had uh, a real safety net of knowing I had a great job,
0: right? Yeah, and you could save some money. Yeah, and you're totally. going to be all right. Yeah, can get right. a house. Right? Yeah, live totally. A life.
1: The fear of not having gone to college went away.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, but it went away fairly quickly. In a way, not, I mean, within a decade is good because you don't want to be the decade down the line going fuck. Yeah,
1: sure. the three years though when i was 20 to 23 something like that really instilled this thing in me like we were talking about before where you better work your ass off
0: well there's panic. panic especially when when things don't work out totally like you know so i imagine after freaks and geeks you're going on auditions yeah and you're just like not getting shit
1: yeah no totally and there is a sense that it's insurmountable
0: right Oh, yeah. And then you're beating up on yourself. I mean, what what were your parents saying during that time? Um, I didn't totally fill them in as to how
1: scared I was, I don't think. But were they like, well, you can go to college? I think at one point that was brought up. One point? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what's really funny about my mentality at that point was, to me, the alternatives were I'm either going to make it as an actor and a writer or... I'm going to move back into my parents' house. Like the notion of get a regular job wasn't
0: sort right. of in my. <laughs> you had no experience with it. There was uh, no reason no. for you to know that. Absolutely, yeah. it's a weird thing about growing up in a, in a house where you know I, what, your father was what? He's a lawyer. Oh well, so I mean, you must have had that somewhere in your head. Like you know, you could be a lawyer.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I did. I just, you know what? I okay. What? I, here's the thing. I think that anyone who's a performer is uh, is a very unique personality type. Right. In that you believe somewhere that what you have to express artistically is worthy of people paying money for and being quiet and listening to.
0: You felt that.
1: I I felt like I had something to offer.
0: Early on, this is when you were 20.
1: Yeah, I felt like I could do something. I, I, I
0: think you have to, you have a calling.
1: Yeah. You have a calling or you have something to
0: say or you have a
1: unique skill. I think if you don't have that, I don't know why you're doing it. You're just getting beat up the whole time. Right. You better have this feeling that you have something to offer. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who feel that way and turn out to be wrong. Right. And it's, you know, I guess that would
0: be a delusion, but. Yeah, well, there's some of that is necessary in this business.
1: I think so. Yeah, a little bit. Too many people are trying to do it. I mean, people arrive by the busload from their
0: town. Yeah. to try to like make it. Well, now and also it's become so diversified in that like if you have a a an iPhone and, and you know and you can post the, like there there is something now where I think that that delusion you know without any indication of uh, of ability yeah. uh, can be nurtured forever. Yeah, it's sort of heartbreaking in some ways, but but you can't begrudge anyone for trying because who the fuck knows, you know. But it is a little bit, it's it's. I I said it on stage the other night that you you know when you do comedy and you see all the headshots of people that you don't know, Like you you don't recognize. You've seen that when you when you go to a casting or something, just see stacks of headshots of just people like, hey, like me. Where it's sort, there's a pain to it. Oh you yeah. Know, well,
1: know. when you're when you're auditioning too, there's this other totally demoralizing aspect of walking into this casting room with twenty other guys who look exactly like you.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, and the decision's not going to be made based on anything but like you know that guy looks right, or like yeah. I like the way he read that line, or it might not have anything to do with what you're really capable of.
1: Yeah, I, I lived in New York for a tiny bit during that period, and the three years. Um, yeah, yeah, around there when I was auditioning, and it was in August. Yeah. And it was Sweaty like July. August. Yeah. Gross. So I would go to these auditions. I didn't have a car, obviously. And by the time I would arrive at the audition, I would just be drenched in sweat, <laughs> like looking like a monster. <laughs> and I remember thinking like this model is not going to work.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, how long did you live in New
1: York? Uh, I only lived in New York for like a few months, like four or five months.
0: What was that about? Was that a failed adventure?
1: Yeah. Well, I I, it was. I had met a girl Ah, at that age, and I went to go. I decided I was going to go try to live with her in her uh, apartment that had no uh, air conditioning, Mm -hmm. and it was like great in the spring. And then by the time it hit summer, it was like a Tennessee Williams play with the fan in the window. (laughs) Yeah, just you hate each other, and you're dripping with sweat. Oh yeah, talking in a weird Southern accent for no reason. (laughs)
0: yeah and her dad shows up the disturbing relationship yeah that's right but uh so that that crumbled yeah that crumbled i came back to la ran back to la i did where the where the where the temperature is level yeah it's just a little Mm. more moderate for a guy my size you know (laughs) that that's the reason yeah Mm. but uh but forgetting sarah marshall was big and i enjoyed that movie i've watched it a couple times thanks Yeah, I've seen a lot of your movies. I'm surprised that that doesn't always happen. Oh, that's good. That beats the (laughs) alternative. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because sometimes you talk to people, and it's interesting when people have, like, and and you're fairly young, but you've done a lot of stuff, but, like, sometimes I get musicians in here, and, like, I like that one record when I was younger, and then you look them up, and they're like, they've done 90 records. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I have an interesting thing where, like, a few years ago, I really... um, remove myself from like entertainment news or paying attention to what was current or this and that. Yeah, because I realized it, I felt better that way. Right, and so I I have that experience a lot where I meet somebody and I'm not I don't know what they do. Or right. Whatever. Oh yeah, it's nicer
0: sometimes. I think so. Can you can have talk a conversation to them on a human level. Well, what it really comes down to for me in this in this context, which is not that much different, because I don't, you know, I I can't pretend. Right. Is that? uh, Yeah, I find that you know, if you're going to meet somebody in a professional situation, if they did something amazing, maybe you should know about it just out of respect, right? You you know, like you don't want to be talking to the guy that cured AIDS, right? Sure, and just be like, so you got a dog? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. right. Yeah. So, all right. So after forgetting Sarah Marshall, yeah, where you were naked. That was a that was what, what. And I don't want to get hung up on that, sure, but you don't see a lot of dicks on screen. Yeah, was that a, a relatively sober decision, or um, it was a sober decision
1: and not a sober filming process? Uh huh. Yeah. What does that mean? I had to. I had a drink to get the the courage to walk out there. It was a really. It was a very uncomfortable scenario for everybody. Really. Yeah. First of all, there's like this um, makeup woman. This poor makeup woman who like. It has to do full body makeup on you, which is a
0: really humiliating experience. And then they- How did you feel about, you know, were you confident in your your dick before that? I mean, were you like, I'm okay. This is not embarrassing.
1: Well, I wanted it to be embarrassing.
0: Okay. I didn't want it to be sexy. Right. I felt like that would be- gross right right um, i wanted it to feel very vulnerable right you know it doesn't get much more i mean in it, terms of like
1: yeah well it's also during like a humiliating breakup scene right so right. it was like it's horrible
0: yeah it's horrible <laughs> um and so
1: i think <laughs> i think i wanted it to feel as uncomfortable as possible right i would sneak into the back of theaters to watch it and literally people like um we're disgusted really yeah uh, okay I haven't thought about this for a long time so you don't see a lot of dicks yeah totally I mean depending on the kind of movie you watch uh, <laughs> right but yeah. in a mainstream, <laughs> mainstream, mainstream film yeah. so there are these test screenings they mm-hmm. do for um for movies where they have like a, a bring in a test audience yeah. and, and then at the end they have to answer questions right 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 so uh, I went to the back of the first test screen, the first movie I've ever written, the first movie I've been the main guy in. And they uh, they the movie goes great. Like people are laughing really hard. It plays as well as you could hope that it could right, play. Right. And I'm sitting in the back and the Q&A starts. And there's this guy. He's like, so what did you think of the romantic storyline? Oh, it's great. Oh, Mila Kunis is so winning. You know, it's just everyone's saying the right things. And then they finish. They're like, all right, great. Well, thank you. Any final comments? And one guy. Yeah. Raises his hand and goes, "Yeah, is nobody gonna talk about this guy's weird dick?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one guy I had to ruin <laughs> had to ruin my thing.
0: His Weird dick.
1: Yeah, test audiences always have that. We did a uh, test audience. With what did he mean? Who knows? I don't know what he's used to. <laughs> did seeing. it make
0: you look, like look at your dick differently? <laughs> like, yes. What is weird about my dick?
1: At Muppets test screening, they showed it to a bunch of kids. Yeah. And had him fill out questionnaires at the end. My character's name was Gary. And uh, so the questionnaires, they framed one for me. Uh, like an eight-year-old kid. And they said, what did you like about the movie? And he wrote, Muppets are funny. Muppets sing songs. Yeah. What did you not like about the movie? Gary's face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> God. Yeah. And that kid, that's a guy who grows up to be like, and no one's going to talk about his weird dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah same guy. Yeah. Totally. So... Outside of the, the acting you took when you were a kid, did you work with coaches and, and did you continue to, to, to train at all? No, I feel like uh, at that point
1: I kind of it felt more like on the job training and working with Judd felt like an apprenticeship in a lot of ways. But I was paying attention and I was watching, I was watching performances and f- feeling inspired by them. Like by who? Like you mean at home? Like you said
0: when you were in your ambitious compulsive phase that you were watching actors.
1: I remember watching Edward Norton in Primal Fear when I was young. Yeah. I was so I was like 17 when that came out or something. That's where he plays the murderer? Yeah. It's where it's his first. Richard Gere? Yeah. Right. I remember thinking that's what I want to do. Serious shit. Yeah, I just that's where I was at the time. And the zoo story is a drama. And and then I'm incredibly lucky I met Judd and I got swept into a comedy world. Right. And I turned out to be good at it. And so you start doing what you're good at and what people are used to seeing you as. But I think all during this period, I was starting to develop an itch that I wanted to try to do stuff that was more
0: honest. Well, the, the new movie definitely is. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can move up to that. So, you, so all all through the comedies like what well, what is it about did you find because I mean I'm a comic and and you have a very unique comic timing that was what was interesting about about the way Judd sort of con- like saw it like let you guys evolve in Freaks and Geeks because there's a very unique comic timing to everybody but it is it is definitely comic but he let you guys find it he must have had a sense of it because you and Seth and you know even Martin you know though you all played it very real but there was a certain natural comedy to it, you know they they
1: did something that I've never heard of before when they were casting Freaks and Geeks yeah they, they did like an international casting search uh-huh. for I mean essentially for weird kids right. You know, and they did casting sessions in small towns and they went to Canada and went, you know, all these places besides just casting in L.A. And I think that they were I think a lot of it is in the selection process and finding people and those improv sessions. You're either going to be good at that or you're not. Right. You know, you can't really fake it. Right. And so I, I think he—it's one of the things Judd is great at. If you, and Paul, if you watch their movies, they're just really good at finding people who um, can do that, who have a unique
0: thing. Right. Well, yeah. And and it, it, but did you find that because it seems like that knocked up, comedically, is very different than uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall or I Love You, Man. Yeah. So like, it's always a hard question to answer because you're not. I don't see that you've really been typecast in any way, you know. You're just you find a certain tone of a character that kind of locks into your sense of humor. How do you feel that out? Well, I appreciate that. I think that in
1: the i uh, I think that in the early part of my career, like when I was writing, forgetting Sarah Marshall, that was an attempt to uh, be. As uniquely my voice as I was capable of being.
0: Yeah, you're very vulnerable, and also you're the underdog, and you're you're you know uh, emotionally desperate in a way. Yeah. Oh,
1: totally. Right. It's a, it's actually it's actually a very very honest movie, and there's like a drama underlying that movie. That is a guy who um, is really lost, doesn't feel good about himself, and um, drinking really heavily in that movie, and like trying to. Um, find his own uh, inner strength, sort of. And then I, I felt like the best way to express that was through comedy. That's what I'm good at. And is that where you were at in your life? Yeah, I think I was. Um, I think it progressed more. I started feeling that way more as as the years went on. As you got more successful. Yeah, I, I, a little bit in that I think, well, one, one thing that happens, I think by nature of the business, is that... Uh, you start to have opportunities to do what you have done well again and again and again. Yeah. And and I fell into that. And At the same time, to be um, easy on myself, I was doing How I Met Your Mother at the time. And so I was, you know, for nine years, I was filming a TV show during the year, writing the script that I would do that summer, and then filming a movie over the summer. And it was a real cycle where... I don't think I took much time to stop and think about what I wanted.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. You know what I mean? I Because you're like, caught
1: up. Yeah, you're caught up. And I, I had this vestigial fear that it could all go away. Really? Yeah. Like if I take a summer off, will they forget me in the movie world? Right. You know, that, that impulse was still in me. And so I think that, uh, and it's my own doing, but I think that I got caught up in a, in a cycle of okay, I found something that works. Let's just keep doing this. And,
0: and also like being under contract and, and, having the gig in a TV show is that, you know, you've got to remain that character. And, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to me because this doesn't happen in my relationship with you as an actor is that because I didn't watch that TV show, you don't live there for me right totally and and i think that that ensemble was also big enough that and and the, the show was sort of weird and it was its own thing yeah that it doesn't seem like anybody from that cast not to me at least is like how's that guy gonna do anything else other than that character
1: yeah because well, it seems like everyone did you know you find out you're you're there, there's a very tricky thing about self-perception When you're working in this business, because it's very much based on perception. Mm -hmm. So how people see you is sort of how they're willing to cast you. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts to affect your if you're not careful, starts to affect how you view yourself. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think the nature of a TV show is that it's meant to be repetitive Mm -hmm. so that you can check in at every time it's meant to be comfortable you know my character is like a loving funny schlubby husband right there's not going to be like the surprise episode where you find out i'm a cheater right (laughs) you know what i mean so you kind of
0: fall into this thing people the viewers want that consistency that's what they they love those relate the characters yeah and you can't just make them a monster all of a sudden no no and there's a there's a lot of value
1: to that you know as i've gained distance from the show and i I really like road tripping Mm -hmm. um and so, you know, you travel to small towns um, where people come up and they say, hey, you know, watching your TV show got me through Iraq or watching. It's the amazing. T- yeah. It's a really, really special thing. I think that while you're doing it and you're so artistically driven, you have this feeling of oh, I should be I should be pushing the limits out there. Uh-huh. I found out there's like real value
0: to, you know, a, a sitcom. Sure. No, no, no. Like, you know, even with this in its own way, you know, people listen to, you know, me talk about my own struggles, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, recovery or or my own neurotic problems and my relationship problems. It's like I get a lot of feet, like a lot of emails. And a lot of people like, you know, I go, you know, you help me through a dark time. Yeah. And wh- why isn't that enough? You know, it's got to be. And it's a beautiful thing. I never anticipated that. And it's something when you're in your own loop. You're like, well, I just, I don't know if I'm doing a good job or if this is like a great job or if this is, but then all of a sudden you realize like you have no idea how you're affecting other people in a good uh, way. That's right. And it's a beautiful thing. So, all right. I love you, man. I watched that movie. I saw that. That's a fun one. It's a good
1: movie. I've done a bunch of things with Rudd and uh, I feel like he, he and I just work well together. Our, our sense of humor is bounce off each other. Well, you're
0: really both well. kind of, you're kind of, you're soft guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, uh, we, we don't have a lot.
0: We don't have a lot of machismo. Right, right. Yeah. So there's something about that. Although he's I, willing to get pretty vulnerable. Oh, totally. Yeah. He also got really buff for Ant Man. Did he? Oh, I haven't seen.
1: He's jacked. Oh, he looks like a lightweight boxer.
0: Oh, really? I yeah. gotta get that. I gotta get a trainer. Do you work
1: out? Uh, you know what? I'm starting to now. Like I'm, I'm more fit than I've been. But my body is still like um, what a fit guy looked like in those ads from the '50s. <laughs> You know where so like, that weird broad Yeah, chest. yeah and like you're allowed to be a little yeah, potbelly, yeah, right?
0: Right, and you lift your chest up a lot. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I look like I should squash nerds. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a big guy. Yeah. Um, the the sort of like you moving into these smaller movies, like um, with uh, like I saw Jeff who lives at home. Oh, That's yeah, Duplasses, right? Yeah, totally. And that was a that was an interesting small movie, right? But I that did pretty movie. well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually not sure how it did, but I know that um. I felt like there was something really special about that movie.
0: Um, There was because the character felt like it was, you know, it was a compromised character and and, and a a character in a sort of emotional struggle that kind of ends up transcending and, and being the hero of the story. But that guy seemed very familiar
1: yeah it it's a guy we know the, we know the guy yeah. like he, he yeah. feels like there is more to life and there's secrets around every corner, yeah and as a result, he lives in his basement <laughs> right <laughs> you yeah, know yeah it's yeah. that
0: guy um
1: but in that movie, he turns out
0: to be right, yeah and uh I watched um the end the end of tour oh, you did i did yeah. oh cool it was great you were great, thank you it was uh this was the one you were hoping for, yeah yeah how did it come about this movie to play David Foster Wallace?
1: You know <laughs> okay, well, the first answer is I don't know what happens behind the uh, like the eight, the walls of an agency. Sure. but my experience was the script got sent to me and they it got sent to you. Yes, it got sent to me and they asked if it's something that I felt like uh, I, I I could do if i if I thought I could play that part. And I read it and uh, I read it and I really did. Um, The themes of the movie just really resonated with me. It's a lot about what we're talking about outside of the comedy, about actually being the person. What happens when things are going as well as they possibly can and you still feel the same? hmm. You know, this movie takes place over the last four days of the um, it's about David Foster Wallace. And uh, it's the last four days of the Infinite Jest book tour. This book was like called The Voice of a Generation. He he wrote it for years and years. It's a thousand plus pages. It came out, did as well as it could do. And uh, he didn't feel
0: better. Right. And in. Like, it's one of those books that is revered, that, yeah. that I have not read.
1: Yeah, that's most people's experience with it Um, that but, I've met.
0: Did you read it? Yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah. be- did you read it before you got no. this opportunity? No,
1: absolutely not. And when I when I bought it at the bookstore, I bought it at like a little indie bookstore, and there was like a ghost world kind of girl behind the counter, mm-hmm. and I set Infinite Jest down, and she said, ugh, Infinite Jest. Every guy I've ever slept with has an unread copy on his bookshelf.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you read that?
1: Yeah, I did. I read it with, uh, with some guys who worked at the bookstore, actually. Um, what do you mean you read it with them? Um, we did a book club where we would each read. We would go off and we would read 100 pages. And then we would get together on Sundays and talk about what we had read.
0: And, were you, and how far away were you from shooting? About, I had four months.
1: Okay. I had four months to get ready.
0: Uh huh. And well, this is sort of what we were talking about, you know, the character and forgetting Sarah Marshall, and and this seems to be like a a perfect sort of uh, synchronicity for you in the sense that you know through all these years of craving to do this deeper work as an actor, yeah, uh, you know, you are given the opportunity, and comedically you sort of dealt with, um, you know, some of the 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 issues you were dealing with, but this character, you know, how close. To your experience, was it?
1: It was, at, at this point in my life, it felt like kismet when we started shooting. Um, I had gotten sober. Um, you know, I got sober two and a half years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm like a year and a half sober at that point, And my TV show was coming to an end. And I was at a real moment of what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line in the uh, in the movie that is kind of verbatim um, what David Foster Wallace said during this interview, but he said, I have to face the reality now of being 34 years old alone in a room with a piece of paper. And that's really what I felt like at this point. Like my safety net was gone. Um, the fact that I had have a financial safety net didn't really apply to what... It, i felt
0: it doesn't does it no right of course not yeah
1: um well not of course not i I suppose looking
0: from outside of it you would think of course it does it 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 actually makes it yeah for a lot of people are sort of like what are you complaining about but the truth of the matter is is that the sad thing when you're in that position is that you do have that and then you have these feelings and they're almost compounded they're like well what the because then you're like what the fuck is wrong with me i can i can eat wherever i want and buy that car if i want to This is what the movie is dealing with, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, what the movie
1: is is um, it's basically a transcript of this interview that uh, a guy called David Lipsky did with David Foster Wallace, where Rolling Stone sent him out and spent
0: the last four days of the book tour with him. And um, well, it's interesting because like the one thing I'm I'm noticed about the movie in retrospect is like, who who is this movie really about? Right. Like, because it you know like you walk away from it and you're like, was that about Lipsky? Yeah. But then you sort of like you go to the other place and, and it's equally about both of you, I think. Did you feel that? Yeah. I actually think that it is about a theme uh-huh.
1: um, that if you, if you um, treat yourself and listen to a speech that David Foster Wallace gave called This is Water. It was the Ken- Kenyan commencement speech. Yeah, I read speech. that. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, addressing the exact theme that we're talking about in this interview, which is if you are placed, where do you place your value? And what is going to address this itch that we keep trying to scratch? That's telling us we're not there, mm-hmm. that we're not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's success, you'll never be successful enough. And if it's money, you'll never have enough money. Right. If it's talent, you'll never be adored enough. You have to find something else. And I just really related to that.
0: And at that, and at the point in this movie, like you don't get the sense that he necessarily did, right?
1: Yeah, I think that right when you catch him at this point, he is a man who is doing everything he can to feel normal. Um, it's I had access to the actual um, audio of these of these uh-huh. interviews, and he he refers to them at one point as mental gymnastics, that he is
0: using every tool at his disposal to feel okay. Wow, because it's like it's such an intimate, you know movie yeah and it, it's a it's a little odd in 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 that you feel that these are transcripts like you know you because you know that that the script is taken from real conversations yeah and what i imagine the challenge to be and this is a challenge i think that just you know when you talk to writers in real life is that what i found myself doing is that is you know this guy's a genius mm-hmm. but now he's talking about pop tarts right so, what do you bring to that as an actor? What do you well, you you saw the dialogue, and and there are some meaty parts where he explains his emotions and his sensibility and the, the sort of tension between you know he sees this 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 guy who's completely insecure and and I know that Lipsky guy. Yeah, do I you don't know, know him
1: personally. No, no, no. Oh. But
0: but I know that character of course.
1: because it, it's it's us five years ago Right. or however long right. it is for sure. you. You know, that's what I think is uh, to me that's what the movie. that's that was the lens I saw it through was a guy talking to himself on the on the beginning end of the tunnel. Uh Lipsky is looking up at David Foster Wallace saying, God, it must be great to be you. You must feel great. You must feel terrific. What's it like to be so famous? And David Foster Wallace looking back at him saying, kid, be careful what you wish for. Trust me, if you get to where I am, you're not going to feel better. Yeah. Well, and that's sad. Yeah, it's sad, but it's very real, and right. I actually think that I think that one of the reasons David Foster Wallace resonates with people is it is a man who had the vocabulary to express something that we feel and maybe are too scared to talk about openly, or which scared, is which the is,
0: existential loneliness that persists.
1: Yeah, which is that you're you're promised that <laughs> by our culture that if you achieve X, Y, or Z or obtain X, Y, or Z, or, or watch this um, marathon of Real Housewives, that you're going to feel better. And it turns out that that's not true. And people are really operating under that assumption and get to the destination and find out that it's vacant.
0: But... but- But it's rare that a person can investigate that loneliness like he did. Like I think that you know, sadly, some people just percolate along with a with a a mild feeling of dissatisfaction or anxiety that they can't pinpoint. But he decided to explore the underpinnings of existence in relation to these expectations and the onslaught of of sensations Hmm. available. Infinite Jest.
1: um, When I read it, it's it's three pronged. There are basically three storylines that are interweaving. One is about recovery in Boston. Um, one uh, about about a one is about um, this entertainment that has been uh, obtained by terrorists that is so entertaining that people who watch it, basically become zombified. Right. This is a, like a dystopian future. Yeah. And uh and the third is about a tennis camp, which is achievement. These young kids who are told like if you don't make it to the pros, you're nothing. That's right. the whole reason you're here.
0: My brother went to that camp. Really? Yeah, Nick Bolateris. Oh my gosh. Is in Florida. Okay. He and he didn't my brother didn't make it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that's the thing. Most people don't. So if the criteria of success is that if you don't make it, you're a failure, then a lot of people are walking around feeling shitty.
0: You know what I mean? And so. And just medicating that one way or the other. That's right. Or, or, Or expressing their anger in weird ways.
1: Yeah, because all three of those are medicating, whether it's booze, whether it's just plopping yourself in front of the TV, or whether it's this intense pursuit of achievement, they're all ways to kind of push off. How do I actually feel?
0: Mm-hmm. So outside of reading the book, yeah, like the, this, it's all made tragic and relevant by the fact that David Foster Wallace killed himself. That's right, and and that you know you're looking at this movie, that this this time capsule, that and you can't help but like sort of what are the indicators, you know, like and I imagine you as an actor, you know, knowing you know you know how he ended up years mm-hmm. later, you know, th- this is part of that trajectory somehow, right. Yeah, I, I mean... Well, I don't know how you prepare. Well, you know, here's but- the thing. I, well, here's what I thought to
1: myself, is that if I, if me five years ago saw me now, I would be unrecognizable. Why? Um, how much were you drinking? I was drinking quite a bit. I got to the point where I felt like uh, I was going to collapse under the weight of it. I felt very trapped.
0: I felt like... Isolated, do you mean?
1: Or I by the f- well, I felt certainly isolated, um, and I also—I mean—I would just very simply wake up in the morning and say, "I'm not going to drink today," and Couldn't you know, you? by the midday, I was drinking.
0: Yeah. Oh, so you really—you had it pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, so it, it wasn't was, a party.
1: No, no, no. It, no, it then, was not a party. And did any it start way. as a party?
0: Or were you I always think my sort of, hunch
1: is It always starts as a party,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no yeah. One's like, and then all of a sudden, I'd like to meet. I'd like you to meet the monster. Yeah. I hope you had a good time at the party, now you're working for this guy. Yeah, no, exactly <laughs> right.
1: And well, you've you've lost control, you right? Know? And I got really lucky in that I had a real moment of clarity where I said to myself, uh, "I want to be the best version of myself." Uh, I, I just got really lucky that that happened.
0: Was it a dark day?
1: Yeah, it was a dark day. I had like I had something bad happen. I had not been drinking for a little while, for months. Yeah, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to drink. And so I, uh, I didn't have uh, booze in the house for myself yeah. at this point. I had a case of rose for guests. Right. It was summertime. Yeah, and uh, so I decided I'll have a glass of rose. Right.
0: One glass. Yeah. I don't even like rosé. Yeah.
1: And so basically it turned into a weekend where by the end of it, I was surrounded by these empty bottles of rosé. And I thought to myself, this is not for pleasure. Right. I don't like rosé. Yeah. This is something else is going on.
0: And there's no end to it. Yeah.
1: There's just no end to it. You know what the thing is about for me that I realized Mm. about booze is that I am not going to win. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) This is, <laughs> they're not going to no stop no making booze. <laughs> I no can't one. drink it all. <laughs> right. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, it's like fighting Mike Tyson. Right. And I realized at that point, the best <laughs> strategy for me is not to get in the ring.
0: Yeah. And it's weird that when, you, when you're introduced to that craving thing, that's, that's, like, that's the most fucked up thing about, about having a drinking problem or a drug problem is like the idea that like, yeah, okay, I can stop. Yeah, and then you stop for a little while, but then like that day where you're like, "I'm going to drink," like that thing that wakes up in you, where like that weird, like unquenchable kind of like, Ugh, That when you when you meet that thing, you're like, "This is a fucking problem."
1: Yeah, and you know, the thing that y- you're not told because it, uh, you don't discuss this openly. You know right, what I mean? Right. But if if anyone out there is like uh, suffering. Right. Or, ha- or has these feelings i don't know how i'm gonna stop it once you say to yourself or just to somebody else i need help
0: yeah it unfolds yeah it comes <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just, it, just it dozens unfolds. of people willing to help yeah totally yeah. yeah absolutely well good for you man it's a it's a it's a great step and how about how about it when that that day where where, where you, you got enough uh, uh enough uh, sober time and and you realize like no i don't really want it anymore yeah. it's a great day
1: I, oh man <laughs> i I can tell you I can tell you a, a, what happened so this is about two and a half years ago yeah and you know you spend like the first month two months thinking what do I do now yeah when you my, go, when
0: you stop drinking well just right. my, my sure. activities yeah gone. <laughs> yeah and you were kind of like you were out in the world being drunk
1: yeah well I was I was good at it
0: Well, can I ask you like a a personal question? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I just want some validation on this. I heard heard that that you got into the habit of getting on stage and just saying, is there any women that want to fuck me? And giving out your phone number. Is that true? No, that's... (laughs)
1: That is a bastardization okay. of, a, of a great comedy bit. No, <laughs> what it was was I had written a song okay. uh, that I would open. Um, I opened a couple concerts with. I opened for Maroon Five, and I sang it once with um, with Glenn Hansard in the Swell okay. Season. Okay, um, that was actually a very funny song. So it was a, it was oh, very it was a nuanced. Oh, okay, it was a very nuanced version of that. Okay, okay, and the phone number was
0: fake. Oh, okay, yeah. It's so funny how like if I, how it finally got to me was like, yeah, he's just. And he's he just going to, for it. Yeah, he's just like putting out his phone yeah. number and just like, yeah, Hollywood, man. Well, that was sort of the desired effect, I suppose. Yeah. Um,
1: but I'll tell you, so a month into yeah. not drinking, right. I, uh, I was driving down the street. Mm-hmm. I was driving back from San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like, I was listening to the oldie station. And all of a sudden I realized... I was singing along to uh, "Rock Around the Clock." Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, I feel good. (laughs) I feel pretty happy." This is—I've seen this in movies where people sing in the car in a real happy mood. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I've never looked back. Like it was the best decision I ever made for myself.
0: It's great. Yeah, good for you. Thanks. You seem clear. I can't imagine you all foggy, and you must have been kind of a like. uh, How would you describe yourself as a drunk? did people want to hang around you yeah but you surround yourself with people
1: who want to hang around that party yeah yeah yeah. you know yeah
0: yeah i was never that
1: i was never a like party kind of guy i was more like uh how i pictured the rat pack to
0: be okay okay you know like all
1: of these things are illusions that you're sort of
0: fed from movies and tv but i was more like that i remember one time being at the improv and i remember jonah came in with a bunch of guys were you running with him no i i no i don't think so not at know. the time oh, okay but you guys friends yeah, yeah. he's a great buddy well, you 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 guys both seem to have a light around you these days. Like when I talked to him, he was very sort of really you know, focused and upbeat. And I'd heard some things that he could be a little difficult, but he was like such a sweetheart. Jonah and I have talked a lot about life stuff. You know, oh, yeah? there's
1: very well, there's very few friends that you have who are around your age. Mm-hmm. Who um, Jonah is doing amazingly. the two right. Academy Award nominations mm-hmm. and things. So. Um, where you can talk about feeling weird mm-hmm. about stuff that's going on mm-hmm. about success, you know, and there's celebrity. Yeah. There's, I, I, ima- I can imagine it's a pretty uh, annoying thing to have your more successful friend say, boy, it's so true. frustrating being successful. So yeah, I have a relationship like that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You have a limited audience of people that you can be <laughs> you know, honest with about
0: that. That's so true. And you know, and it takes a a, a a big heart and a good friend to show up for that guy. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, because you know, I have I have relationships with people. Obviously, a lot. I'm i work out of my garage, and and uh, you know, I have this show, so I have a lot of friends. We're big, you know, who are stars. And, you know, I don't, I don't have many friends, but, you know, uh, I, there are people in my life where, I, and I just realized this recently, that, you know, I, I'm pretty close friends with a guy who's pretty big, and there's, there's very few people he can really talk to, in a way. Yeah, well,
1: you can talk about stuff that is common ground. Right, right. But to really express, people are all the same, yeah. right? And no matter how well you're doing, you are going to have feelings of not being enough, you're going to have feelings of um, dissatisfaction, uh-huh. and it's it's tough. I, I, I imagine to find people to talk about that with. If um, if basically you sound like you're whining,
0: or or yeah, or if you're seen as the guy that should have everything, yes, you have that's to have, right. you have to have real friends. Yeah. Is, is basically what it is.
1: Yeah, well, it's codified like in myth from the beginning of time. Sure. This isn't. This is a universal feeling. The king feels the same way. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's going to feel bad for the king? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Fuck that guy. Yeah, exactly. He's the king. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. yeah. So, well, that's a beautiful sort of thing that, that this role, you know, comes to you where you can sort of process these emotions through this guy.
1: Well, I felt like sort of in the way that we're talking now, I felt like what the movie was was a real opportunity. um, it's it's an extension to me of the themes of Infinite Jest, mm-hmm. of of this is water. Let's talk about this stuff. It It is okay. Um, I feel like when you read Infinite Jest, there is like a distress beacon going out saying, does anyone else feel this way? It's okay. I feel this way. Sure. Do you guys? Right. And I watched the movie, um, and I feel like James Ponsold and Donald Margulies, the writer, did an amazing job of it could just be two smart guys talking and it would be such a boring movie but it it gets at these themes and that's what resonated with me and and it's
0: interesting the way it got to those themes was by essentially not making it just two smart guys talking because a lot of the conversations were about pussy yeah. and they were about you, you know food yeah and and you, you know what i mean going to like because that's what's really interesting about the movie Cool is those choices of when and where the deep smart shit comes out so it doesn't overrun the movie
1: yeah well you want you need the audience to want to be in the backseat of that car Mm -hmm. like you have to want to be on that road trip it's a four day road trip and it could be exhausting if it wasn't fun and you listen to the tapes and honestly like the the one that I like the most that doesn't make it into the movie is Hanson remember Hanson the band yeah they came on the radio and you hear David Foster Wallace for about three minutes dissect Hanson yeah, and you're hearing the smartest guy you know of his generation talk about
0: Hanson in a positive way.
1: Yeah, just in a, yeah, a you yeah. know pop culture right. analyzing yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and um, that to me is the fun of it. You get to hear
0: some really, really beautiful insight on, in some really mundane things. And it's interesting because you know Eisenberg's very intense. Yeah, and I I don't like for you to kind of you know hold character around that. What was it like working with him? It was the most intimate experience I've ever
1: had acting. <laughs> Honestly, uh-huh. um, it's a, there's there's great supporting cast, uh-huh. um, but a lot of the movie is Jesse and I, yeah, um, alone together. Had you worked with him before? No, I had never met him
0: before, because he's an he's an intense
1: character. He's intense. He is incredibly quick and funny. We were together in our first meeting, and someone asked me how I got started writing. And I said, uh, well, you know, I sort of had to create my own material. No one was uh, knocking down my door to play Captain America. Yeah. To which Jesse uh, just really quietly said, no, but you could probably play the captain of a weaker country. (laughs) (laughs) So he's that smart, you know, and quick. And he's also the most prepared actor that I've ever met. Really? Yeah. He's... I I was just astounded at how uh, ready and and thoughtful he was about the script. And so we would we were staying at the same motel, like a residence inn, in the freezing cold. And we would drive together. In to, Indiana? Where was it shot? Uh, oh, it was it shot in was Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, Michigan, yeah. In the heart of winter. It was like negative 15 degrees or something. Yeah. Um, and we would drive together in the morning to work and go over our scenes for the day. Then we would act all day together for like 15 hours. And... It was interesting because it, it paralleled the movie. We were acting with each other, but we were also acting against each other. Uh-huh. Like each of us wanted to win the scene. Right. You know? Right. And then we would drive home and like unwind and talk about what we had, what the characters had talked about in the movie, mm-hmm. get like a donut at two in the morning mm-hmm. and, and then go to bed and get together in the morning and do it all over again. It was, it was the best. And did you feel like you now, now you're friends? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a great friend. He's really <laughs> terrific. He also still makes fun of me. I, I gained quite a bit of weight for the movie because mm-hmm. we had pictures of David Foster Wallace during that period mm-hmm. that I just tried to match. So I was like shoveling food into my mouth. And uh, Jesse loves uh, old-time candy. There's yeah. a little fun fact for you and so i uh i sent him a video like a month ago of an old time candy shop just going through showing the candy and he sent me back a text thinking that this would be hey buddy i miss you he sent me back a text that said stop sending me video of your colonoscopy
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's a place down right here on york that that sells all the old time candy isn't it the best yeah like you don't even think they make it anymore yeah galcos they sell all these sodas from around the world yeah it's the best well, so what do you take away? Like, obviously, this is you know about to be seen. Yeah. What's your feelings? My feelings are: I want to do more
1: movies like this. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah. I want to do. And you can. Yeah, I think I can. Um, I, think, I think that's the weird maturity to, you know, this transition you're in, you know, emotionally and and lifestyle wise. But the fact that you have made, you know this the amount of success you have and the freedom you have i mean the only thing you're up against is is these expectations that might not even be yours
1: that's right Hmm. well it's an interesting thing because we filmed the movie uh you know a year and a few months ago now a year and change Mm -hmm. and so um i have been living career-wise a year ahead of The business. Right. Right. So it's been a really interesting year of trying to be patient and have some faith in the movie. After you're done. So it's been out of your hands for a year. And what have you been doing? I've been writing. I've been writing a lot. What Um, are you working on? I'm writing uh, one of the new Lego movies.
0: Oh okay. Yeah, so I, I'm writing that
1: I'm writing my my books.
0: Isn't um, that interesting though that like, you know, these uh these like childhood passions or the things, you know, that you know, the weird kind of turn of events that that drove you to to a Muppet movie. I imagine now like you're a go-to guy for a whole different thing than you ever expected. You know, I have a a part of me that hasn't changed
1: yeah. that makes me I think like uniquely good for that stuff because I have um I now have the skills of a professional writer. Right. But there is, I have, I know like what satisfies me as a 12 year old kid. Oh, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I know what I want to see. That yeah. Yeah. Part of me that's still 12. Right. So, what, so you're, the premiere is tomorrow? The premiere is tonight. I'm going to go put on a suit after this and like just, where's it? Enjoy it. It's at the Writers Guild in Beverly Hills. And who's going? Like, is Judd coming and, you know, friends or? Um, well, I, uh, I have my parents coming. Yeah. Um, and I have some friends coming. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a lovely girlfriend named Alexis. She's coming. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really intimate movie and experience. And to watch it with people I care about is, is the best.
0: So it's not really a public premiere. It's going to be an in-house thing? Or? No, I think it is public. Uh-huh. Um, but I invented people who are very,
1: I invented, yeah. I invited people who are very close to me. Oh, it's okay to invent people that are close <laughs> I've done that, too. That ended a few years ago. <laughs> it's
0: great talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Thank you. See, that guy's a sweet guy. Nice guy. Love that guy. Love talking to Jason Siegel. I think we can be friends. That's what I decided. I'm going to try to be friends with Jason Siegel. I'm going to try to be friends with Adam Goldberg. I think those are appropriate friends for me, don't you? Am I overstepping? Am I overstepping as the host of a show in my house? WTFpod.com slash calendar. Those dates are in September, early September, the uh, 2nd, 4th, and 5th. And there's stuff, other stuff there. I put all the artist names on all the posters. All the poster art there now has the artist names. I felt like a dick. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, why don't I put the artist names on there? What, what kind of bullshit is that? They're artists. They made this art. So they're on there now.